Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the podcast, A Just Natural Africa. And here we still explore the different dynamics revolving around protected and conserved areas in Africa. And on this episode, we have Mr. Achari Elvis Ayamba from Cameroon, and uh, he will be sharing his own ex experience as a marine biologist from his work in Cameroon. And uh, welcome, Achari, and uh, we're excited to have you here. So maybe just to take off and get going, I uh, would like to know who you are. Tell us your name, pronouns, perhaps, location, what inspires what you're actually wearing, uh, your current role and affiliations, plus anything you want to mention just for us to know you. Achari. Thank you very much, Joshua, for this privilege. I'm very honored and overwhelmed to be here today to speak about our biodiversity, our nature, our Africa. So my name is Achare Elvis Ayamba. I'm from Cameroon. And, uh, I live in the coastal city of Douala in Cameroon. Uh, by profession, I am a marine and freshwater ecologist, an engineer in the conservation of marine and freshwater ecosystems. I'm the founder and the executive director of Environment and Food Foundation. And uh, it is it's a grassroots uh, non-governmental organization working to hold and reverse the degradation of marine freshwater ecosystems and terrestrial ecosystems in Cameroon and Africa. So, yeah, thank you very much. And I'm very excited to be part of this podcast. Super amazing, and it's really great to hear and get to know about you and who actually you are. So straight into the core subject matter. So quite a number of times we know that when people get into some spaces, let's say for example a conservation space, we know there is some from somewhere from which they draw their inspiration. So we are keen to know what actually inspired you to take action for marine and freshwater ecology and conservation. And uh, most importantly, we would like to know your own story from an African context that's looking at your own personal life growing up and now uh, taking the road within the whole career in its own. Yeah, of course. Uh, no, my passion, my passion for this, uh, this choice of career is stems for my natural love for the natural environment. Like I said earlier, I choose my professional career, main career orientation, because in teaches and uh, uh, aquatic marine ecosystem management because of this passion. Um, yeah, I just love environment, especially the waters. Always love being around the beaches, around the Forest, the natural forest, along the waters, the streams. So, right from the childhood, I always love swimming in rivers, the streams in my community. And as we are growing, uh, I personally realized that it was not the same. These streams were no more available for swimming. Some of these streams have died a natural death, meaning they have disappeared, they are no more existing. So, <laughs> we usually go to these streams to do fishing, and that was something which I did all my life. Now I can't do that. I can't do that anymore. You can't swim there anymore. And yeah, it's something that one people need to look into. And no, like from a childhood, I just love the water, and I started. Oh, I want to study 
something related to water, something related to marine freshwater ecosystem. And uh, immediately I just had my advanced level, like went to university. I immediately went in to study marine and freshwater ecosystem. And yeah, this has been a long journey over from that to now, and I'm still pursuing the same career, the same vision, the same dream, and <laughs> it's really amazing. I forgot to answer one of your questions in the beginning, like what am I putting on? Yeah, of course, I'm putting on a, a blue, a blue, a blue coat. And this just signifies our blue planet Earth. Yeah, the blue ocean, the blue seas. Yeah, I'm deeply in love with this blue. And <laughs> just like, I was like, just wearing blue, blue. No, and when I put it on like this, it's a big message I'm putting across to the world, to myself. And when I look at it, oh, I think about the ocean, I think about the extremes, I think about everything blue, blue So yeah, it's something I'm very passionate about. And I've been, I'll do my best, and I'll continue doing my best to do whatever I can do to be part of this, to preserve, to conserve, to restore. So, uh, what we do understand is that the planet is blue and green. So, for most people who are on the terrestrial aspect, we will talk about green, and those yeah. from the marine and freshwater aspect will talk about blue. And it's really great to hear this inspiring story of yours. So, over the past uh, over the past while, I should say we've had discussions on protected and conserved areas right from the Africa. Protected Areas Congress. And now fast forward to the CBD COP15, we still had discussions on protected and conserved areas, especially about pro protecting at least 30% of the planet by 2030. So what in your own view are protected and conserved areas? And just uh, while, telling, while telling us what they actually mean to you, would like to know how this actually relates to your own story growing up or relates to the work you actually do and also the community within which you work and perhaps the one from which you grow up? Yeah, protected and conserved area, whether it be marine protected area or landscape or seascape, I think they all have almost the same value. So for me, a protected or a conserved area is like a, a specific, uh, a specific uh, geographic location that is uh, having high conservation value, which has a, a, a world of biodiversity. Like, let me go in terms of when we talk about marine protected area, because uh, when we talk about marine protected area, it a specific marine ecosystem that is conserved, that has a high conservation value, and is rich in marine or freshwater ecosystem or, I mean, organisms. Um, these protected areas today, they are highly threatened, yeah, globally, especially in the context of Africa and here in my own country. And uh, uh, I've been working in protected areas for over six years now in my early career. And uh, I've seen that it's always, it's always somehow, it's good for us to set up a good management plan for these protected areas. And you realize that today, with the high rate of uh, advocacy on uh, the rights of indigenous people, it's like it's becoming also an issue of concern. 
Now we need to see how we can conserve these protected areas, these uh, conserved areas, and also uh, without not abusing the rights of uh, the indigenous people, because most of these protected areas, the indigenous people need to meet. And they have been living in it before even they were designated protected area. Like in the case of my country here in Cameroon, uh, there are like some, some, the government is like chasing some of these uh, native, like indigenous people from their, their, their native land because they want to preserve this protected area. Yeah, it's not a good approach for me because even though we need to conserve, we need to protect this protected area because of their rich work in biodiversity and uh, in climate change mitigation, I think we also look, need to look into other sustainable measures without having any bias or impact on uh, this uh, indigenous people or native population. Super amazing, and uh, it's great to understand what protected areas actually mean. Quite a number of times we do take protected areas from the ter terrestrial aspect, and you've given us a lot quite insight into the marine, the marine, com marine and freshwater component. So uh, you actually just linked to the next question, which was supposed to be highlighting some of these challenges. And uh, maybe you would like to actually pick up from where you've left off already with the challenges that are already existing within these, these uh, protected areas you've grown up within or you've been working on as your career goes by. So what are some of these challenges uh, that have been facing uh, both uh, you individually and even members of the community that you've seen over the, over the while of your career or even growth? Yeah, yeah, of course, there are all these protected areas are highly threatened today. They're highly dependent. So uh, I tell you, know, as I said in the beginning, I'm always passionate about the water. So I will always talk about relating this to the water. It's my area of passion. So I will talk about the marine protected area. Yeah, marine protected area. Like you mentioned, impact price is coming up because it's February, and it's all about international marine protected areas. So marine protected areas, in my country, let me talk about my own and personal experience of the field. They are highly threatened, highly threatened. I'm privileged to work in two marine protected areas in my country. And these marine protected areas are highly, highly degraded and threatened. We have one of these protected areas. Uh, we have this problem of illegal logging or deforestation. Yeah. And this is a, a mangrove forest ecosystem. People now love this mangrove forest for fuel wood. We use it as a source of fuel to do fish smoking. Now, it's the principal activity of the indigenous people, the local population. How then can we stop them from cutting down the mangrove as a source of fuel for their fish smoking, which is their main source of uh, income, main source of living? It's a big threat. And we have tried a lot of alternatives here, and it seems not really working, and <laughs> it's challenging. So this is one of the main threats that we are having right now, is the logging of this mangrove uh, forest for fuel wood. And there's also a, a problem, a threat of, uh, like, when you talk about urbanization, you see, there's, the cities are expanding. Now, people are building onto that building and entering into this marine protected areas. 
They are building inside the mangrove. So what do they do? They take down this mangrove, they destroy the water bodies, they chase the water away. And that is destroying the ecosystem. Destroying the ecosystem. Ah, it's a big problem. And you see, the government himself has gave up. So no, the population has superpassed us. We cannot do this anymore. So now the population has taken over thousand hectares and thousands of hectares of land. Now it's now a settlement ground for the people. It's a big problem. And there's another big threat of uh, illegal poaching, hunting in these, um, I think, protected areas. They are rich in both marine and uh, freshwater organisms and also terrestrial organisms. We have monkeys that live in the mangrove. Now these people, they do their normal hunting in this forest, in this mangrove forest, and they are hunting down these organisms. I mean, yeah, organisms here. So <laughs> there are many threats. There are many threats. There's also a problem of uh, oil and uh, gas companies that do their mining in this marine protected area. So you can just imagine how the problem is just too, too big and challenging. Even the government is with them. The government is in hand, working hands with the exploitation gas and oil exploitation companies. And how then can we solve this problem when even the government doesn't recognize it and doesn't support us, like all the civil society organizations, to help us solve the problem? And we need authorization from the government in order to stop such activities. Because it's a marine, it's a protected area, and according to the law of Cameroon, it is owned by the state. And we do not see that without the approval from the state. So you can just understand how the problem becomes a bit challenging. The person that is supposed to give maybe an approval to maybe do a riot or a strike to advocate for this instead tell you no. It's the people that are destroying the ecosystem and it becomes a big challenge, a big challenge. This is just to name a few. There are also many other challenges. I can also talk about this a high rate of proliferation of invasive aquatic weeds. You know, these organisms, you know, you have heard about the water hyacinth. They there's a high rate of population of this uh, invasive aquatic weeds in this marine protected area. Why? Because of over-nutrient, because this eutrophication. Eutrophication rate is very high. The water's bodies are highly polluted. There's high uh, rate of nutrient in the water bodies, and this has caused it to result in the high rate of proliferation of this well, let me just call the aquatic plants. And these ones are a bit dangerous because they, they cover the water surface and uh, they prevent oxygen from penetrating the water and automatically it suffocates the aquatic organisms in the water. Yeah, so these are just some of the main threats. There are many, 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 many other threats in these uh, marine protected areas in Cameroon. And I cannot go without talking about marine litters or marine debris, plastic pollution. It's very, 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 very high rate, alarming rate. There's high rate of plastic pollution in marine protected areas. You go into our waters, <laughs> I've seen a lot of documentary online. They say by 2050, the number of fishes will be above the number of, uh, the number of plastic in the ocean will be above the number of uh, fishes. But when I go to some of these, our marine protected areas, some of these, our streams, some of these areas, I say, no. In Cameroon, it is already above the number of fishes because you see, you never see a single fish that you see piles of 
plastic that has flooded the entire ecosystem, the entire over hectares upon hectares, thousands of hectares, piles of plastic. So I say these water bodies are already biologically dead, meaning there's little or no marine life, aquatic life, no marine or aquatic or freshwater organisms in these waters. Now, all what we see there is plastic, 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 especially plastic bottles, especially loss. Otherwise, discarded ghost girls. Yeah. So <laughs> the trends are just too alarming that I cannot even start saying it. We still work to move Yeah. So that thanks. Super interesting. I know the challenges are endless, and we would, we definitely would have a very long and unending list if we were to list down challenges. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I do understand that while some of these challenges are prevailing, there's a reason as to why you are actually pursuing this career path and there's a reason as to why you actually are working in this space. So up next is we'd just like to know how you envision some of these protected areas, these marine and freshwater protected areas in your locality. Like what is an ideal protected area to you? What would an ideal protected area look like? That's from your own context or from the community in which you work. Briefly. Yeah, actually, you no. Know, before I started my initiative to the environment foundation that I founded, I had the concept of renewing uh, environmental mindfulness. Yeah. So I will always stay in this context. I'm looking at this an ideal protected area or concept area should be where the people in or around have a positive mindset, the right mindset to live in harmony with this marine or protected area. Like all of those people that live around, all of those people that live in, they should be environmentally conscious. They should have an environmental mindset. Their activities, maybe before you take on, you take on any activity, you should be thinking of what comes to your mind first is what I'm doing. Does it have any negative impact on the environment? Does it have any positive impact on this environment? If it has a negative impact, then I shouldn't do it. If it has a positive impact, then I should do it. So I just want to see how people should have this. If you can come to a, 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 a time where people have this mindset to live like in harmony with nature, to be friendly with nature, to see themselves like part of nature, to see themselves like, I don't know what to say. Yeah, that's just what I look at as an idea, PA or CA. Living in harmony is the key word right there. And I think perhaps that's why we do each and everything we do each and every other day, so we can see that happening and coming through. Thanks so much for that critical insight. And now just uh, would like to know again briefly, so briefly, what are some of the steps you are already doing? I know you're doing quite a lot and perhaps you cannot even quantify or qualify because I mean, it's already a lot. So what are some of the steps, some of the steps you're already taking to see that you know this work is actually proceeding well in your own community? Of course, it's time for action and uh, yeah, the decade of action. We need to work and we need to take sustainable actions. Yeah, since ever over six years, I've been in this like working in the field. 
14 and this, 14 and this, 14 and this. Yeah, so as I said earlier, or I mentioned earlier, I founded the Endowment of Food Foundation in 2017, immediately after I graduated as a postgraduate in uh, issues and uh, ecosystem management. And uh, this is a grassroots or a non-profit organization that is working to help our best the alarming rate of distribution of marine freshwater and terrestrial ecosystems. And uh, mostly through uh, advocacy and policies, environmental education, marine litter management, conservation and research programs. So let me just be short here. Uh, the main active or the main projects or programs that we are running here at the Environment Active Foundation is uh, firstly, we have a project on uh, marine litters or debris uh, management. Yeah. So we do a lot of cleanups, we do a lot of environmental education on the impact of marine litters, we do a lot of uh, local valorizing marine plastics into local products, and etc. etc. So we have a program on the conservation and management of mangrove forest ecosystem. We are trying to restore the degraded mangrove forest ecosystem and prevent the further the, 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 the destruction of the mangroves. So this is a program that we are running for over these years. And we do some awareness and education on mangroves, importance of mangroves. We do mangrove reforestation activities. We also, we also deploy the community-based uh, ecological mangrove conservation technique where we try to conserve the mangroves while working with these indigenous people that live in the mangroves. We also try to develop their livelihoods, improve the livelihood of these indigenous people by bringing up some other livelihoods that can help to prevent them from destroying the mangrove forest as a source of income to them. And uh, many others, even ecotourism, we are working on ecotourism in mangrove forest ecosystem. And also we have a program on uh, conservation of the Lekosa. Lekosa is the biggest lake in Cameroon and of about uh, over 4,000 hectares. So this is also another program where this is a lake that is highly threatened to be by the population of invasive aquatic eats. And we're working with the engineers community to collect this fish from the lake, to remove this fish aquatic from the lake. Also, we are working with them on an environmental education campaign, also improving their livelihood and training them on other alternative livelihoods like uh, bee farming. And uh, we also engage in developing uh, eco ecotourism in this uh, lake area. And uh, we plant uh, uh, native, native trees or indigenous trees in this, uh, along the banks of the lake in order to conserve this ecosystem. This is just to name a few, and um, yeah, we are doing other things like also empowering, encouraging girls and young women into conservation. Yeah, women are conservationists, and we encourage and empower these indigenous women to be good conservationists in their communities. Yeah, so thanks. Um, these are some of the major activities that uh, I am personally engaged in at the Endowment of the Foundation. But I must also say that this is like one of my work that is the main target at the Environment of Foundation. But globally or internationally, I'm also involved in a lot of other activities. Yeah, a lot of consultancy, a lot of work, a lot of 
conference, conference. Yeah, policies with respect to youth movement, youth action globally. Yeah, so I cannot start naming this now, but these are just super amazing and uh, i know perhaps this is a lot of work already and i'm just trying to understand and figure out how you manage to do all these maybe you can only do that maybe if you're a robot but uh, either way uh, we must continue take, doing on the work we do so we were yet to move to another interesting bit and i know that while you do while you're doing your, your work around marine and freshwater conservation you perhaps are not the only one maybe there are those before you and there are those perhaps coming after you so what advice would you have for youngsters who are who are trying to take responsibility for some of these conservation endeavors so especially those who are prospective or those who are already leading the way so what advice would you have for them yeah of course uh, i must say we must be very, very determined into this. Yeah, it's a very big challenge. It's challenging. Running you know, <laughs> a career in conservation is very challenging. I must, must start telling you my challenges here. It's a big challenge. It's a big challenge in front of us, and we must take the challenge. So we must fight a good fight for kids. We must believe in what they do. We must believe in ourselves first. Before we can convince others to believe in our vision, start one to one. So I talk about determination. The youth leaders involved, especially conversations, they must be very determined. They must be very determined in what they are doing. They should not take it lightly. They must be because they are challenges and they are challenging whether you like it or not. And if you don't carry the determination in you, you can fail. Also, let me talk about uh, passion. We need to run this with passion. Passion, like I said, this is something it starts sustaining running right from a childhood. I go up to university and now. So if this passion is not there, you won't see me any talking like this <laughs> because it's a very tough task. It's a very challenging thing. You need this passion that will keep you moving, just going, just pushing. Even though nothing seems like it's working, that you are just passionate about what to do, you just want to do it because maybe what to do. It makes you, you know, move forward. So they need to keep this passion in them. And the last but not the least, hope. You must hope have hope. You must have hope in yourself first. And you need to tell people about the hope you see and convince them through yourself because. People will have hope when they see the hope in you working. Yeah. So if I tell people there is hope for the future, yeah, we are going to make it. We are going to make it. And at the end of the day, I sit behind and I'm not pushing up forward to the hope to become a reality. Then I'm alive. But if I tell people, oh, there's hope for this, there's hope for that. Tomorrow they see me advancing. Oh, they see me international platform sharing the same. Oh, they say, wow, this guy is going. So let's follow. Let's follow. So yeah, there's hope. Let's go. Let's keep the hope and let's move forward. Yeah, I believe things gonna change and things are changing gradually. Just that it's slow. Yeah, and we should think of how we can accelerate action. But I cannot lie to you. Things are gradually changing. You can confess that with me. You can confirm that with me because you have been seen from the previous uh, congress. I believe we have been together, and you see that after each congress or conference. 
markets are improving, though it is slow, but things are advancing. So let's hope, let's hope for the future. Yeah, we're gonna make it, we're gonna see the future when we see that everybody is in harmony with nature, everybody has a right mindset with nature, everybody loves nature. Our leaders love nature, they take good decisions, good policies, good statements on nature. Yeah, we're gonna see this future. Amazing. Uh, I would I would want to take one thing and say hope is a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, so we are we are yet on the last the last and most interesting part, and uh, here we would, I would, uh, in about less than ten words. So in less than ten words, you would like to would like you to mention something that you would not like to happen. Not on your watch. So you would begin by saying, "Not on my watch." Then you let us know what you don't want to see happening. Oh, have you got it? Or we can go back once again if you haven't. Go back, please. Okay, so I want you to think about something that you don't want to happen on your watch, something you don't want to see happening while you watch. And uh, in about 10 words or less, tell us what you don't want to see happen on your watch. So you begin by saying, not on my watch, then you mention that. Not on my watch. I want to see the dropping down of mango for fair weeks. Oh, amazing. So that's it. Very short and clear. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really been a pleasure and it's been great having you on this particular episode of the podcast. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in to share your views and uh, hope you have a good time. Yeah, it's been an amazing pleasure. Thank you very much, Aita Joshua. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for this privilege. Thank you for this platform. Thank you for this great initiative. And uh, yeah, we need to really 